Welcome to On Mic with Jordan Rich. It's conversations with creative people, actors, voiceover artists, authors, musicians, and from time to time, some very talented comedians. My guest today is one funny lady, Maysoon Zaid, Palestinian-American from Jersey, who also happens to be someone living with cerebral palsy. Now, she manages to bring laughter to difficult subjects and is also working hard to have Hollywood hire people with disabilities for the appropriate roles. In fact, we'll talk about a network TV show in the works, fingers crossed, starring Maysoon in an autobiographical role that could be a groundbreaker. It's called Can Can, and we'll talk about it. But before we talk with her on my podcast, how about a little touch of Maysoon at work? My name is Maysoon Zayed, and I am not drunk, but the doctor who delivered me was. He cut my mom six different times in six different directions, suffocating poor little me in the process. As a result, I have cerebral palsy, which means I shake all the time. Look. It's exhausting. I'm like Shakira Shakira meets Muhammad Ali. (laughs) CP is not genetic. It's not a birth defect. You can't catch it. No one put a curse on my mother's uterus, and I didn't get it because my parents are first cousins, which they are. (laughs) It only happens from accidents, like what happened to me on my birthday. Now, I must warn you, I'm not inspirational. (laughs) And I don't want anyone in this room to feel bad for me, because at some point in your life, you have dreamt of being disabled. Come on a journey with me. It's Christmas Eve. You're at the mall. You're driving around in circles looking for parking. (laughs) And what do you see? 16 empty handicapped spaces. And you're like, God, can I just be a little disabled? It is absolutely a delight to get together with you again. We had such a great time when I met you in Boston. Maysoon, how are you? I'm great. I'm having a really good time because I'm finally home from the road. I've been on the road for about two months, and I have a one-week break. And as soon as I knew I had a break, I said, I got to get on Jordan's podcast, so let's uh, do this. Well, the, the life of a comic, I have a lot of friends in Boston who live the life, and it is a lot of travel and a lot of staying in hotels and motels and then showing up for a gig and making people happy. It's not an easy life, but it's obviously one you've chosen and endure. So there's so much about it I love, and there is so much about it I loathe. Like, I can no longer like babies because I flew 280 days in 2017, and I just know they come on the plane, they wave at you, they're so cute, but eight hours into the flight, it it really just, you know, tests every nerve you have. (laughs) But I've gotten to travel the whole world. I've gotten to go to Australia, Kuwait, um, Beirut, uh, Texas, you know, every place you can imagine, Luxembourg, which has its own language, Luxembourgish, which I didn't know, and it's true. Mm. And I've gotten to see the whole world on other people's money. It's so much fun to wake up and eat a free breakfast in Greece. So all the torture of the flying and being bumped and having flights canceled because Boston and New York, you know about the weather that we get. It's always like rolling the dice. It's all worth it when I'm, you know, getting that perfectly poached egg. Again, I met you at the Epilepsy Foundation annual fundraising dinner a few months ago. My first 
introduction to you, and I was blown away, first of all, by your material, but second of all, about your honesty. You say, you know, you're a Palestinian, Muslim, a woman of color, disabled, and you live in New Jersey. That's a great opening line. <laughs> tell me a little bit about the background and, and growing up in the family you did, and, and actually, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about what you're dealing with and dealing with well, the cerebral yeah. palsy. Yeah, so um, I'm really part of this strangely all-American immigrant family. So my parents came to the States, and we were all, they came to the States actually from Palestine. And we, me and my three older sisters were all born in New Jersey. So, you know, we speak English, and we went to public school in New Jersey. And I joke about the fact that my town was really diverse. We had 33,000 Italian Catholics and six Arabs who are all my family. <laughs> and we weren't bullied. We weren't made fun of. We weren't excluded. People didn't treat us differently because we were the only Muslim family in town. And people didn't treat me differently, even though I had cerebral palsy. So I was born on Labor Day weekend back in the day, and uh, the doctor who delivered me was strong. So I lost oxygen, and as a result, I have a neurological order called cerebral palsy. And CP is different in everyone who has it, but in my case, I shake all the time. Um, so, yeah, I'm living that disabled life, and I'm working really hard to increase positive representation of disability on mm. television. Mm. We're 20% of the population, but only 2% of the images that you see in the mm. media. Mm. And I feel like the more positive images we have, the less fear we have surrounding disability and the more that people living this life like I do can go out and be proud and not be stared at and not well, be shunned. And I've, not got, be I've got to direct people then to your TED Talk. That TED Talk has had millions of hits and it really illustrates how you can deflate and disarm some of the fear that people have and some of the uncomfortable nature of what we call disability with humor. Brilliant. So one of my favorite things to say to people is I always say if, if you make someone laugh they're so much less likely to hate you. It's, it's not a guarantee, but when you make them laugh, they see a human, they see humanity, they see something in themselves. And so I feel like when we're talking about disability, when we're talking about bigotry, when we're talking about violence against women, when we're talking about epilepsy, when we're talking about anything that's difficult to talk about, if you can do that in a comedic way and get people laughing and get people kind of confronting their fears and their biases, but doing it in a way that's kind of really fun, I think that's the most effective mm. way to have change. But again, like, I'm a comic, so I'm going to say that. <laughs> but I'll tell you, as I watched you perform live, I was really impressed with the, the, the level of humor, and you knew just where to go without making people who might have a disability feel a little uncomfortable. And also you made people who don't have a disability laugh along with you. I think that takes a lot of skill. Yeah, and I think, like, it was so interesting when I started working on developing a television series. One of the big fears that surrounded this project was how does, you know, a Muslim chick or a Palestinian or a disabled Muslim Palestinian brown girl, how is she going to be embraced by what they call middle America? And it was so interesting to me to explain to people that, again, if you make people laugh, it is completely mm -hmm. universal. It doesn't just read on the coasts or in middle America. It reads globally. 
And so I'm really glad that you saw that at the foundation, that I can have fun with whoever I'm with. And, you know, I really believe in comedy being fun. So when I first started doing comedy, I used a lot of slurs. I, you know, was fat phobic. I made fun of people. I was mean spirited. And I thought that was what was funny because that's what a lot of my predecessors were doing. And I made a decision in my career to not be mean when I was doing comedy. I don't censor myself. I don't not say what I want to say. I don't say mean things and I don't use slurs or violent language anymore because that's fun to me. I want my audience to laugh and have fun. I don't want them reminded of the worst moments of their lives or have them feel bad about themselves. Well, it certainly comes across as a warm, engaging, hilarious presentation. And you dropped a little news item there that I want to follow up on. You talked about a television series sort of in production, and it's called, uh, working title anyway, is Can Can. And you can explain what that is because it's really a sort of autobiographical piece starring you. Tell us more about where it stands and what it's all about. So Can Can is my dream come true. It really is. It's it's ridiculously perfect. My studio is Universal Studios, uh, which is Harry Potter. And my network is ABC, which is Mickey Mouse. (laughs) So basically, I have Harry Potter and Mickey Mouse on my team. The two greatest theme parks in America are on my side. So there's not much more I could hope for, but there is more. My producer is Hazy Mills, Todd Milliner, and Sean Hayes, who's Jack from Will and Grace. And it took me 17 years to get here. So I kind of feel like when the TV show finally hits, they'll be like, overnight sensation. I just want people to know overnight took 17 years. But (laughs) this is the show that I always wanted to see. And the way that I like to explain it is if I wasn't playing the lead, the character would not be disabled. She's disabled because I am. So we're not writing the tropes of you can't love me because I'm disabled. She's the lost Kardashian and she has men chasing her. (laughs) We're not writing heal me. She accepts her disability. She works with it. She exploits it when she wants, you know, to cut lines or have some free benefits, (laughs) you know. And she is not someone who's ashamed of it or battling it per se. She's just living with it. And then I wanted a show that focused on friendship. I grew up watching Laverne and Shirley, and I wanted something that wasn't a woman chasing marriage. I wanted a woman grounded in friendship. So the centerpiece of the show is a real strong relationship with her and her parents and her and her best friend. And can you explain the title? Because you did that on stage in Boston, I think. Yeah. When I was growing up, my dad was trying to teach me how to walk, and it was a real challenge because of my cerebral palsy. So he used to cheer me on by saying, you can do it, yes, you can, can. And the show is called Can Can because my character, who I'm blessed to be playing the lead, so I get to executive produce and write and create and also star in it. So, like, it really is a dream come true. You just didn't even mention this, but I will. You have some serious acting training, acting chops from college on, and we'll get into what you discovered about acting when you have a disability, but... It's not like you just uh, woke up one day and said, I want to be an actress. You did want to be an actress. Yeah. So my dream in life was to be on the daytime soap opera General Hospital, and it still is. So let's send them this podcast because I mention them in every interview. I e- ever even did. though you were on another soap opera, I believe? Yes, I was an extra. My, my acting career started with me. <laughs> 
being only recognizable by the back of my head sitting in a diner called Al's Diner on Azawal Turns. But yes, I went to Arizona State and State Theater. I was trained by one of the greatest theater directors in history um, who ran Circle Rep Theater in New York City, Marshall Mason. Then I went to the Neighborhood Playhouse in New York City. Then I became like the extra to end all extras. So I was on As Well Turns, I was on Law and Order. I got to sit in the audience of like really bad talk shows and be paid $50. And I realized that people on TV didn't look like me. And I realized that where I could identify was in the world of stand-up comedy. I saw the original brown-shaking comic, Richard Pryor. And I was like, that's all I'll do. I'll become a comedian, and I'll become famous, and they'll put me on General Hospital. <laughs> and so I became a comedian, and now I have a show being developed that is in its pilot phase. So we'll find out. They make you wait so long. We'll find out in May whether we get picked up or not. But I know that we're going to. I feel it in my bones. Oh, definitely, and uh, and, and we're we're going to we're going to volley for you and and promote <laughs> you everywhere because I I can tell you folks she's brilliant and has a life energy that just beams. And I want to come back to something we talked about very briefly, and that is as you mentioned, people with disabilities make up nearly twenty percent of the population, but just account for two percent of on-screen characters. And then of course we know most of the actors who play people that happen to have disabilities are ones without disabilities, and you're trying to change that. Yeah, this statistic is is super shocking. 95% of all disabled characters that we see, that minuscule 2%, 95% are played by non-disabled actors. 95. So the reason I want to end it is that a lot of people, disabilities, non-monolith, we don't all agree. But a lot of disability advocates feel that visible disability, much like race, can't be played that it's not just a series of twitches and slurring, mm. that it's offensive and cartoonish when people who are not disabled try to imitate that physicality. We also know that the talent exists. There's 4,000 people who identify as disabled on Actors Access. So we know the talent is out there, and the idea that you can't find the people is just not true. But we're not given the opportunities to play non-disabled parts. We're not given the opportunities to play disabled parts. And often auditions are not even accessible when the character calls for a disabled Mm -hmm. um, part. So we're kind of fighting for representation, because if you can't see it, you can't be it. And there's nothing that should be told about us without us participating. And I really hope that can-can kind of makes it awkward for people pretending to be disabled when there's someone so upfront doing this. And, you know, I'm not the first. There was Jerry Jewell on Facts of Life and Marley Matlin, who won an Oscar, and R.J. Mitty on Breaking Bad. And, you know, we have Micah Fowler on Speechless. But what I'm trying to do is take it to a whole nother level, where it just becomes normal, where the show's not about it. It's not about the struggle. She's just like any other woman, you know, looking to have a job and balance family and relationships and money. 
in Jersey, like anyone else, and she happens to have a disability, but it's really not the center of her world. And it's not because I'm trying to downplay it. It's because I, I like to say I want to mainstream it. I yeah. want it to become something that we see so often. It's no longer an exception. An, an authentic portrayal. I think more and more people are looking for that in entertainment. I think the audiences are ready for it. Let's hope the producers and those who have the backing to uh, make these things happen, including Can Can, will we'll take to it. I have one more important issue to raise, and that is the work... Beyonce the cat? What? what? <laughs> Beyonce the cat? Tell we me about... Be- about my cat. Well, let's... Okay, right? let's do that before I get to the uh, less important stuff. Go ahead, Beyonce. I have a cat named Beyonce the cat, and cat people can go to my website, com. She has her own platform. And the reason I love um, Beyonce so much is because she's a multiple mutant just like me. So I always say in the Oppression Olympics, I'd win a gold medal, like you said at the beginning. Well, Beyonce, she's a Scottish fold, so she has no ears. And she's supposed to have arms that are short like a bunny, but instead she has arms that are long like a spider. And she's a mute. She doesn't meow. So me and my cat are both mutants like well, the x-men yeah and and i was going to say uh the the name beyonce everyone knows that name from the celebrity but now we know it from your cat which is good i, I want... wanted to name her dolly parton but my husband uh, he really wanted to name her beyonce and since we can't have kids i i was oh. like you can name the cat you can name the cat <laughs> well the other issue i wanted to mention is actually uh important and very close and near and dear to your heart you do travel back to Palestine, to the territories regularly. What's it like when you head back? And are you doing stand-up when you go or what? So when I go back, I do stand-up all the time, all the time. I've done it all over the place, in in villages and in cities and in places that I've never seen stand-up. It's, it's really fun. And I happen to be fluent in Arabic, so I can do it in Arabic. I also film my series. So I'm heading back to... Um, at Christmas, actually, because I love, love Christmas in Bethlehem. I mean, it's where Jesus was born. It doesn't get better than that. So I go every year, and I film 10 episodes of my web series, Advice You Don't Want to Hear, where I give people advice they don't want to hear. Mm. And um, I also work uh, within the territories on mainstreaming children with disabilities into the public school system. It's an uphill battle. The numbers are really against us. But education helps, educating teachers helps, making sure people have access to the knowledge that people with disabilities can learn and should be taught. Mm. You know, so I work I work on that, too. And, yeah, I love it, and it's a lot of fun. I just wish it wasn't a 12-hour flight. <laughs> <laughs> Those babies get to you after 12 Those hours. babies, and oh, my God, it's so funny. It's like some weird peace experiment up in the air because you have Israelis and Palestinians on the same plane, and both of these groups of people like to have lots of kids. So it's like the most, you know, tense flight. You have all these kids and all these people, and you're like, are we going to make it or not? And about six hours in, everyone goes to sleep, and the world is peaceful. Well, (laughs) you're taking the geopolitical headlines, and you're going well beyond and below those headlines to realize that they're human beings, ultimately. We all are, and we all have— I'm not going to agree with you that children are human beings. All right, well, not the babies who cry on planes. It's debatable. (laughs) (laughs) Better to have Beyonce. Beyonce the mutant cat. 
you know, Beyonce travels with me all the time, and like I said, she's a mute, so she doesn't bother anyone. <laughs> well, we are thrilled for your success. I'm just going to say again that I was blown away by your, your performance and your presentation, because it was more than a performance. It really was heartfelt and made people feel very, very inspired uh, from all levels. And I just want to say congratulations, and let's go CanCan on ABC. Yeah, let's right? go CanCan. Jordan, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk to me and amplifying my voice, and thank you for the time that you gave to the Epilepsy Foundation, and I cannot wait to share a stage with you again. Oh, we had a blast that night. And by the way, Maysoon, M-A-Y-S-O-O-N.com. Please make that a regular stop, folks, when you're tooling around the Internet. Check up on her progress, where she's going to be appearing, and, of course, uh, the upcoming show, which we know is going to be a hit. Hey, thank you again for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, too. This is Jordan thanking you for listening to On Mike with Jordan Rich, available on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and, of course, Android. Appreciate you subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing this podcast if you get a chance. On Mike is produced at Chark Productions in Boston. Until next time, be well so you can do good.
This is Jordan thanking you for listening to On Mike with Jordan Rich. Available on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and of course Android. Appreciate you subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing this podcast if you get a chance. On Mike is produced at Chart Productions in Boston. Until next time, be well so you can do good.